Welcome to 2020, the era of innovation. The Automation Alliance podcast brought to you by RapidMation. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the next edition of the Automation Alliance podcast. I'm excited to have Jonathan Parsons on the show today, uh, who brings over a decade's experience in helping organizations achieve operational efficiency by helping them build and scale a digital world. So Jonathan's role, he's currently the Associate Director for Automation and Innovation at the University of Sydney. So Jonathan, welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Great to be on the Automation and Alliance podcast. Uh, Looking forward to it. Yeah, excellent. Well, I know you and I have have shared a few conversations over the last few months uh, and obviously some of our experiences in the intelligent automation market. Uh, So we're looking forward to getting some of your insights today for the listeners uh, about some of the great work you're doing out there. Right. So going a bit back in your story, I was, I was having a look and doing a bit more research. and I know you've achieved some incredible accolades in the emerging tech world. And one thing that I noticed is that you were already a senior manager at Ernest & Young, uh, looking after the RPA practice back in 2017. Right. Um, so I guess that was still very early on in the RPA space. And I'm curious to see uh, how you would see that role now if you had to fast forward three years, right? And in line with that, I mean, would there be a major change in scope and focus? And did you have any predictions about the adoption of RPA technology way back then? And then kind of how that's evolved over the last few years? Yeah, thanks, Sean. So I think just maybe just to give a bit of a, a background kind of context of where I started. So I mean, as an electronic engineer, I've kind of always been excited and uh, about tech and kind of tech platforms. Um, but originally started my uh, career out as, as kind of like a control engineer, kind of working across kind of factory automation, uh, kind of digitizing various um, processes and procedures. And literally, I was kind of like starting big uh, machine equipment and kind of automating processes around that. Uh, and assisting the process controllers on the factory. But turns out that that's a, a really good skill set to have to apply to robotic process automation. Um, and back when I was in South Africa, EY was basically hunting down kind of control engineers uh, and hiring them to, to, kind, of, uh, to kind of help out uh, on business process automation. So I kind of got in, got in contact uh, the partner uh, at EY back then was kind of uh, James Matcher. Uh, so he kind of brought me along uh, on to, to EY South Africa. Um, and we started kind of scaling out big um, automation engagements uh, across the big banks. Uh, uh, Nedbank, one of the, the, the biggest kind of RPA implementations back in SA. Um, and uh, yeah, I think back then, if, if you just think about in three years, how much has changed, uh, across the RPA space. Um, I mean, like Blue Prism was a relatively kind of uh, very new startup back back then. Uh, and just in terms of the software, the platforms, how much has changed. Uh, it's, it's, the software has become so much more robust. Um, I think just kind of the, the RPA developers in general um, have, have much better standards uh, that everybody is working to. Um, and I think just the case, the, the cadence and, and the pace uh, uh, in terms of the expectation of delivering these engagements has, has, uh, has, has really increased. And, and I think if, 
if what we were delivering in, in kind of six to 12 months, three years ago, you can probably deliver in kind of like two to three months uh, now. So I think just for me, it's really about the, the cadence and the pace and, and the capabilities of the software uh, has really, has really improved. Um, and I think it's back then they were, everybody was kind of chatting around a, a intelligent automation, which was kind of a vanilla kind of implementation of uh, like one type of technology, kind of a UI path or blue prism or work fusion. Um, whereas now um, it's become this entire ecosystem and um, it's not just <laughs> when we build processes now uh, at the AI hub, it becomes a blend of, of uh, Microsoft, uh, Google Auto ML, Power Automate, uh, Blue Prism, UiPath. Um, and, and it's just, I think the platforms and the ecosystems that we're creating is much more complex, um, uh, but also more robust and, and, and more efficient at the same time. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I mean, I love hearing people's stories and kind of how you stumbled across RPA and from a process engineer and an electrical engineer moving on to the process world, but it makes such, such sense, right? And uh, kind of a natural evolution. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I pick up on your, on your fact there of kind of moving forward and getting this cadence up and being able to deliver a lot quicker. So uh, I guess that's really interesting and obviously good for us nowadays as we sit in the RPA world. Um, but talk to me a little bit about what types of processes were you implementing back then, right? So you mentioned it was one of the big banks, but has, has the type of process changed as well over the last three years? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, if, if you think back then, it was really kind of like extremely high volume processes. So I think in the banks, literally when we would go through our discovery session, so kind of Nedbank had kind of very, had 10 different clusters. Um, and our approach um, that we had taken there was really kind of a federated model. So we had pods uh, in each of the various clusters uh, of the bank, in the retail banking section, in the best investment banking, balance sheet management. And we had kind of teams going through discovering uh, the processes across all the clusters and then kind of and, and, and then automating those processes and then kind of feeding that back to uh, a central kind of center of excellence, which was kind of governed in, in the ICT department. Um, and they had a, a program called Digital Fast Lane, which was a really gigantic program. And I mean, you can have a look at their, their kind of statements. Um, and they, it was literally, I think, around 6.8 billion rand, so $680 million. So it's, it's numbers I can share. It's just, it's on their, on their statements. Um, and they were just literally trying to drive digitization across, uh, across the whole bank. And um, uh, it's it just how, um, it just the, the, the scale that they were doing that was just, was just really big. Yeah, crazy, right? And, and that's massive scale, right? Yeah. I mean, especially for three years ago, that was a, a massive program of work. So yeah. I, I imagine you got some really great nuggets out of that and lots of lessons learned. Uh, so that's awesome, right? And, yeah. and I guess moving yeah. forward, right, then you, you came across to, to Australia and you obviously yeah. now, as I understand, you're obviously at the University of Sydney um, and you are kind of in something called the AI Hub. So talk to us a little bit about the AI Hub, what it is and how it fits in at the University Sydney. Yeah. So the AI Hub is is um, is headed up by by Steve Blunt, uh, who's the the general manager uh, of the AI Hub. 
Uh, and we've got the leadership team, myself, uh, who's kind of responsible for the, the delivery side of things and the, and the operation side. We've got Dina who kind of heads up our discovery and we've got Alan Lee who kind of thinks up the new moonshot ideas and then we figure out together how do we actually kind of productionalize those. And essentially what we are doing is, um, is, is, is kind of going through the university and digitizing uh, the various operations across the university. So hunting down ideas, understanding where the business uh, pain points are and, uh, and, and kind of helping the business solve their problems and challenges. Um, and, and literally kind of been doing that over the past uh, kind of two years. Um, and I think literally when, so I was one of the, uh, basically I was the senior manager from EY side kind of driving the engagement uh, and eventually kind of Steve twisted my arm to come across and uh, join the University of Sydney. So I've kind of been driving it uh, ever since. Um, and I think we've got a, we've got a very diverse team. Uh, so we've got engineers, uh, we've got finance guys, uh, we've got BSC IT guys. And I think the combination and the blend really helps us develop uh, and come up with, with really good solutions. Yeah, amazing, right? Okay, cool. And and I mean, you mentioned a few different things there, and obviously, uh, different of the leadership teams have different roles. But give yeah. us, give us, give the listeners an example of a standard day in the life of Jonathan at the AI Hub. So, so what does that look like? What's a typical day uh, in your world? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think my my day kind of starts out um, with a, a morning scrum. So we've got a twenty minute scrum. So we'll have about fifteen people on that scrum everybody's kind of giving their updates on, uh, on where they are and kind of managing their processes uh, and, and, and where they are in kind of the development and delivery uh, of, of their processes. Um, and, and just kind of calling out if there's any blockers or issues uh, that they're struggling with. And then from that session, kind of I'll then kind of uh, have kind of breakout sessions just to help out remove any blockers, escalations, uh, so kind of driving the standard kind of delivery, we'll also have alignment sessions with the discovery team, understanding what new opportunities are on the table, kind of prioritizing those opportunities, and then kind of planning which developers will be picking up the, the various processes, obviously aligning skill sets from a technical perspective. So if we need some uh, Qualitrix form capabilities or we need UI path, Blue Prism capabilities, we obviously align the 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 opportunities with the relevant tech requirements to to the developer as closely as possible um and uh and then obviously kind of just there's the whole run aspect to it as well so uh at the ai hub we're north of 150 processes and um and <laughs> in production uh, we've developed over 200 processes to date uh and keeping those alive and maintaining those uh, you always got to keep your finger on the pulse. If there's applications uh, in ICT that are patched and updated, we've got to do validation and verification checks that the patches that will be applied kind of a couple of weeks down the line, are, are, are they going to be impacting any of the processes that we, that, we, um, that we are running? So kind of making sure liaising with the business uh, around that as well. And also just understanding uh, and meeting with the business uh, teams to make sure that the processes that we're operating for them are actually um, are, are actually delivering the value that they need, 
and just identifying any additional gaps or enhancements that we can kind of help out and, and continuously improve the state of, of our production space. Yeah, ne never a dull day by the sounds of things, right? <laughs> Pretty busy and lots of things going on. Yeah, yeah always on the go. So it's definitely, I think, uh, kind of the highest pace uh, role I've ever I've had to date. And uh, it, it gets busier as, as uh, the more, the more uh, solutions you put in place. Uh, but it's fun. Really enjoy the work that I, that I do. Yeah. And onto that, right? I mean, you've got 150 production apps up and running now. And I guess that kind of brings me to the next topic, which is around scaling automation, right? So something that's on the mind of most transformation executives at the moment and innovators is really about this topic of scaling automation. Uh, and we often hear and read about the incredible growth of RPA deployments every month. And we know that there's a significant amount of value that customers, both large and small customers, are realizing with the adoption of something like robotic process automation. Um, but we also know that the successful organizations will be those who embrace the change that's associated with this innovation and then refocus, refocus their workforce to truly scale these initiatives, right? So yeah. having 150 applications out there, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on that about scaling automation and, and kind of some of your experiences that you've had at the AI Hub. Yeah, sure. So I think one of the things that that use that USED has done extremely well is kind of to take a strategic stance to kind of really focus on improving the student and staff experience as opposed to kind of cost out. Um, and you'll get your benefits by following kind of that approach. Um, and it's really around just improving student and staff experience. Uh, obviously, we need to make sure that the processes return a good uh, um, value in terms of benefit uh, and I think that approach has worked really really well um, and and I think the other thing is uh, you definitely I, I don't think organizations on their own can just kind of pick up RPA and, and run with it on their own you should really be working with a partner um, like a rapid motion or a, kind of the other RPA implementation vendors and working with them to understand that skill set and transfer that knowledge uh, from, from these RPA uh, vendors and helping kind of build a, a, um, a group within the organizations to be able to continually uh, build new processes um, as, as they go. So really kind of build that capability in-house in within organizations down the line. Um, and then also making sure that and what I've seen is a lot of organizations, they'll kind of build four or five processes and, and that will be it. Um, and when they kind of put it, they, they, they neglect the run aspects of, of processes. So if it's, you, can, you can build five processes and put them into production, but if you don't have somebody looking after those processes, maintaining them, if the business changes the Excel spreadsheets that they're using, deletes a column, you need somebody to kind of really support that. Uh, and make sure that the processes are tweaked as the environments change, as the applications change, uh, and keeping those processes alive are definitely some of the, um, you, you need to have a dedicated run focus on that, uh, and that definitely helps uh, kind of building, building ability to scale going forward. 
Yeah, some really great insights there, right? And I guess in combination with that, one of the concepts we hear about often is this concept of a robot for every person, right? So for those of the listeners that may not be familiar with that term, um, the UiPath CEO, Daniel Dinez, uh, he's often quoted as saying, if Bill Gates said a computer on every desktop, our vision is to have a robot for every person. Uh, and what I believe Daniel meant by that is that um, you have kind of some of these team-based processes or centralized processes of things that you can automate, but certainly sometimes you can actually have your own personal digital assistant that allows you to take care of kind of some of your own tedious, mundane, repetitive tasks. So keen to hear, I mean, do you uh, guys embrace that at the AI Hub to have these little digital twins and digital assistants, or is that something you're still kind of getting to at this stage? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a focus for us. So the AI Hub, we started out really uh, focusing on unattended automation. Um, and the way I like to kind of see it is, uh, it's almost, if you look at kind of the various processes based on benefit, it's kind of like a triangle. So uh, you'll have a few processes that yield really high kind of value. And those kind of processes operate in an unattended kind of fashion. Um, but as you go down the, the, the kind of value chain, uh, the, the, the real large volume of processes are probably going to be uh, kind of attended processes. So, um, and, and what we've done is we've got, we run the hub as a dual technology hub. So we've got uh, Blue Prism for kind of our, our unattended processes. And what we're doing is using then UiPath to focus on the attended automation space and help us federate uh, out and, and start having little robots on the various um, desktops uh, of, of the business users and helping them kind of, uh, and, and, and it helps us from the ability to kind of federate our, our, our run orchestration. So if the business wants to start their own robot, they can click start on their desktop as opposed to phoning our run team, say, hey, could we kind of reschedule this process? So I definitely see the attended automation space picking up um, as we go. And, uh, and also, I think we've come to the point where it's actually viable to do so as well. So, I mean, attended automation space. So in, in the hub, traditionally, we would not pick any process up that had a benefit of under a thousand hours. And as we progressed, we became more efficient and it became viable to kind of pick up a 500 hour process. And it's been dropped down to about a 250 hour process. And now we're in the region of kind of automating processes that, that have maybe a hundred hours benefit. And these are the typical kind of attended, attended, um, attended processes that, that we're looking at. And we definitely will start kind of focusing more on that. Yeah, brilliant, right? And awesome to see how you guys have evolved that, right? And often I see that at customers as well. And just yesterday, I was working with some legal customers um, where we were introducing the concept of these digital twins and these attended automations to help out anyone from legal administration assistants to paralegals to actually lawyers themselves, just to allow them to do more with less. Um, and yet we use that as a complement to some of those unattended automations that are maybe the more bigger ticket items. Uh, but great to see the top down and the bottom up approach coming together and providing immense value for, for UCID and for many other customers we're seeing as well. Okay, good stuff. So um, the other thing that I, that I picked up, and I, I love the word moonshot ideas, and, and you and I have chatted a few about kind of some of the moonshot ideas that you guys look at. Um, so firstly, talk, talk the listeners through kind of what you define as a moonshot idea. 
Yeah, so um, I mean, the moonshot ideas are those ideas that that won't necessarily kind of have immediate impact, but uh, or guaranteed immediate impact. But it's the ideas that if if we can actually pull it off, will be a significant impact and benefit down the line. So I mean, RPA processes we're looking at delivering benefits in kind of a few weeks time. Whereas a, a kind of a moonshot idea most likely will yield benefit if we can pull it off kind of maybe six to 12 months down the line. So slightly larger projects, much more kind of cognitive integrations um, and uh, kind of focusing in, in that space and kind of a much more blended kind of technology ecosystem with a bit more kind of Python scripting, C sharp. Uh, and, and a lot more kind of um, integration with like PyTorch and TensorFlow and kind of all those uh, nice AI applications. Yeah, awesome, right? And uh, and I noticed uh, from from doing a little bit of research that I see you guys are involved, uh, or you specifically are involved at the Sydney FinTech Society, right? So the FinTech Society on campus, as I understand it, UCID, is dedicated to the rising intersection of finance and tech. Right, so you combine that with, I guess, some of the great tech resources that the university is producing, um, and would that be one area where you guys would be looking at some of these moonshot ideas, or how does that play into the bigger strategy? Uh, so essentially, the AI hub actually reports into into finance. Uh, so uh, it's kind of we we report into to to Wayne Andrews. So it, we almost see ourselves as a bit of a, a fintech uh, space, uh, but it's really I think it's just. Uh, the fintech society that's kind of just how my my linkedin <laughs> my linkedin kind of uh user thing landed so it, it wasn't a specific to the the fintech society uh, as as they have it there Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Perfect. All right, all good. Um, okay, moving along slightly. So um, I see you delivered a session recently at something called CORDIT, right? And for those who may not be familiar with that acronym, that stands for the Council of Australasian University Directors of Information Technology. Um, and the session that I believe you presented there was about scaling an automation and innovation department. Uh, and then it was the University of Sydney's approach to that, which you were obviously pretty key in. Um, so I'd love you to talk the listeners through what you went through in that talk and some of the nuggets of information you shared and kind of what, uh, what you spoke about and what you shared with the audience. Yeah, sure. So I think in that session was really around kind of um, showcasing that that RPA on its own is not a silver bullet. Um, and, and what you need to do is really start integrating uh, RPA and using it as kind of the framework um, that connects everything else together, that connects your, your Google Auto ML, that connects your, your Microsoft Cognitive Services together. And, and using that framework to start pulling everything together um, in an orchestrated manner um, which has specific kind of defined standards uh, that you've kind of agreed with your development team. Um, and and if, if, you can, if you can get that right, um, you, can, you can scale an automation department pretty quickly. Yeah, got to love it, right? And I think the key thing there is like how you've evolved the standard RPA approach and then how you've combined that with kind of the best of breed technologies that leverage kind of the power of AI to uplift and infuse these automations with all these great things like artificial intelligence, machine learning and the like, right? So it's really interesting to hear that. Yeah, and, and I think what's 
what what we found is um, it, automation in the beginning is is always a little bit slower going um, for an organization. And the reason for that is you still need to build all the drivers, the API interfaces that are connecting to these various applications. And that in, in terms of, a, of, of automating a process is a significant aspect of development. But once those are built, um, then you can really just focus on the process layer, uh, which becomes much more uh, simpler built. So, so if, if, for example, if you're inter interacting with the SAP, um, and building all those login pages and, and all your kind of activity level. Uh, once those are all built, then putting together the various processes on top actually become extremely easy. So your build time will reduce dramatically. And so what may become, what, what may used to be like a six week build then drops down to kind of one or two weeks kind of build times. Um, and, and that efficiency gain is really kind of an exponential lift and plus, as the business gets on track <coughs> with what automation is, they then start feeding better and better ideas. And those two exponentials together just really start making life easier as you go, allow, uh, go down the track like one or two years down. And I think my tip for any organization kind of getting into the RPA space uh, would be really around don't try, don't try look at the program uh, on one or two process POCs and try justify and see if and 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 try see if there's a return on investment uh, to to kind of to 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 kind of give you the the go ahead to scale your your automation program. It's it's like and I almost think um, the way that I look at automation, it's it's like um, it's almost like a SAP enterprise implementation. So, because the rule sets, last mile automation has much more complex rule sets uh, uh, that you need to encode as opposed to what a SAP uh, kind of would be on, on, in terms of your, your backend kind of integration. So, it's almost easier in my mind to implement SAP as opposed to, as opposed to kind of the last mile RPA space. And if you tried to judge a SAP implementation two months in, you wouldn't see a return on investment either. But with RPA, six months in, you're actually yielding a return on investment. Um, and as you go along, that just gets better and better over time. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more, right? And I think that's the, one of the great things that I love about RPA is that, that kind of the speed to return on investment is immense, right? So you can actually put down some of these automations and you can really uh, get return on investment really quick, quickly, get benefits to the business really quickly. And then, as you say, it just kind of snowballs from there because the business get more comfortable with it. They give you better ideas for automations. And as you say, that then evolves really quickly. That allows you to cookie cut and deliver these automations really really quickly back to the business awesome um, okay great so I, I, I think you've given us some great insights and um, but I'm keen to hear there's many people of or many of the listeners that might be looking to obviously scale their automations um, so I'm keen to hear about uh, some of the lessons learned and some of the common pitfalls that you would have come across in scaling an automation department so would you be able to share anything with us in that space yeah, sure, sure. So, I mean, I mean, number one, uh, don't try to do it yourself. <laughs> There's so much learning that's happened over the past couple of years. Um, get get a trusted vendor to to kind of uh, to help you out from the start. Um, and if, if that's that's the first tick, 
don't and uh, point two i think don't try uh, uh, judge an implementation uh, three or four weeks in and look for try try look for a return on investment give yourself a little leeway uh, give the program a six to twelve month timeline um, by that time period you will have had enough time to work with the business to work out to help them along the journey of RPA you had had enough time with ICT to kind of set up your infrastructure and your IT environments um, and you would have had enough time to kind of build and get your own, your own kind of standards that work for your organization and your environment. And once you've got those in place, uh, it becomes a lot easier. Uh, I think also hire a really talented uh, technical team. If you are going to do in-house delivery, make sure that you have somebody that has a programming background, has proper experience, in kind of BSC IT or kind of the engineering background that can actually develop processes. You'll need a core team to be able to do that. And while you may be able to federate the more simpler processes to the business, you will always need that kind of input and technical insight from somebody that does have that programming capabilities and kind of and background. And then I think if, if you get that, you, you're probably in a, in a pretty good space. Yeah, awesome. I think there's some amazing nuggets of information that's come from years and years of experience of doing it. So I really appreciate you sharing some of that. I think that's been really great about kind of the pitfalls, the advantages, all those great things to look out for. Um, so, so moving on a little bit from there, I mean, what's, what excites you about this space, right? So you're obviously well-versed in it. You often see come across many, many different things, these moonshot ideas, the run of the mill, the run department. But what's, what are you most excited about in this space and what do you see coming down the line that you think the listeners should uh, kind of keep an eye out for and, uh, and look into the future? Um, yeah, so share with us some of, the, some of those things. Uh, and I think maybe just to kind of share like the, so, so what we're seeing at USID by doing all of these automations, the, the benefit is, um, so, I mean, just, just last week, actually. Uh, so we had automated a process that didn't have material massive benefits, but by the, by due to kind of COVID really mixing things up a little bit, uh, the whole dynamics of kind of where the effort needs to be spent within operations has completely shifted. Uh, and a process that had a mediocre benefit, uh, which was really around kind of helping a, a, a processing students uh, who are kind of transferring their units of study from kind of one, uh, uh, dropping a few units of study and adding a few different units of study. Um, and it turned out there was a backlog of around like 55,000 transactions that needed to be processed in a couple of days. Um, and if they, <coughs> if, if USID had, had to actually go do that manually, they would have had to hire, I think, 83 uh, casuals for a period of three days to complete uh, those kind of transactions and work on time. But because we had built that process, um, it was it was just so easy to just uh, add uh, a few more VMs in and we spun up 15 VMs and we just added it to the process and we managed to process, I think, 46,000 transactions in less than 48 hours and then completing the remaining over the third day. And I think the benefits of automation, it's not necessarily seen up front and you, you almost don't know what they might be. Um, 
but it just it allows organizations to be able to adapt dynamically to changing times and i think that and i think times may be becoming more dynamic and more changing as as we go into the future and i think you'll it almost become an order qualifier for organizations to start digitizing their processes and being able to provide that enhanced user experience yeah brilliant right awesome i think that's been really good jonathan and i really appreciate your time and your insights uh, so just before we close off are there any closing comments or thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with yeah i i think 2020 is definitely the year of automation um i think it's proven itself become really robust uh and now if you haven't if if you haven't as an organization kind of jumped into the water now is a really good time to do that um, and the benefits are definitely there. It's, it's, it's a technology that's kind of, if you look at the Gartner hype cycle, it's past the trough of this disillusionment and it's on the way to the, what, what do they call it? The slope of enlightenment, right? <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. Awesome. And we often leave our customers with, it's no longer, if you're going to do this, it's really about when and when should be today. Right? Yeah, so, agreed. Great note to end off on. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing some of your amazing insights with the listeners. Great. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Dan. Be part of the community and join the Automation Alliance at www.automationalliance.com.